Hello and season's greetings, everyone. Ooh. It is December the 22nd of 2021. I am Nick here with Chris. You can make Santa puns out of both our names very yes. easily, but don't because that's lazy and we like to be original on this show. Yes, I am. Of, uh... <laughs> I am, of course, uh, the ghost of Christmas or no, fuck. I fucked up the joke. Damn it. Never mind. I was going to do a whole joke about like, ah, yes, it's. Larry O. Smith's morning, but the easy pun to make out of my name, and I did the last name instead of the first name. It was gonna be a whole. Fu- I was gonna be a tweet at one point, and I got really excited to do it, and then I was like, "No, hold back a moment. Let's let's pull it back. Let's save that a that a plus material for the podcast." Didn't work out. Sorry, guys. Oh, it is of course late uh, December, which means that of course. Many people are have been or are going to be celebrating the holidays. Uh, I believe that Hanukkah has passed us by. And, of course, uh, Christmas is just around the corner for those of us who celebrate it. And then after that, there is the end of year stuff. And then you could go. There are so many other things that you could talk about. It's like, oh, this is celebrated on this day. This is celebrated on this day and everything. Uh, of course, during this time, we like to say we hope that you are having a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think you get to spend it with people that you want to spend it with. Yeah. That's about it. So enjoy yourself however you need to. I know the holidays, it's not always the best time for everybody. It can be very stressful for a lot of people. But uh, I would say, in the spirit of what this time of the season generally tries to amplify, uh, you should be able to take time for yourself and enjoy yourself however you find that best fitting. And I suggest that you do so by sending me your eggnog. Yes. Uh, watch Muppet Christmas Carol. God I mean, damn, what a great movie. What a great movie. It's a good It's I, very good. There was a <laughs> there's a, a TikTok I saw and it just opens with a lot of people are gonna be angry about this, but here's everything wrong with a Muppet's Christmas Carol. And then it just cuts to the person being like, nothing. There's nothing wrong with this movie. But I tried sending that to my sister who loves the movie, and she sent me back, no, I refuse to watch this. I don't want them to ruin anything for me. I was like, if you literally watch two more seconds, you'll find she says that exact same thing. Everyone acknowledges maybe the best movie ever made. <laughs> it's certainly a very, very high up there. So yeah. And considering that the kind of stuff that you see in Christmas movies, like... It, 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 when you consider the median level of Christmas movie, yeah. oh, and, and there's as probably far, more forgettable ones that could play. And as musicals go, every song a banger. Just every song, you can't you can't miss with it. Even that, uh, what da, 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 the fucking the, the romance one didn't like it that much. But you know what? It at least remixes it to a great song at the end. So there's that. Where love is found. That's it. I added all here. I've watched that movie like 17 times. I, it's it's in there somewhere. I'm surprised there's only that many, honestly. Well, I, I, actually, that definitely was a low number because I watched it pretty much every Christmas growing up and definitely several times since then. And I'm... Is 33 considered mid-30s? Or is that still early 30s? I would consider that early. early okay, so, mid, I'm, so, so I'm, I'm in my early 30s. I have to have seen it more than 17 times by this point. I've definitely seen it more than half of the years of I my life, so. so it's probably 20 right. 25. What do we talk about in this podcast, Nick? We talk about... Oh, hang on. Oh, I've got this. 
<laughs> you have manga. So hand, that'd be great. <laughs> manga. <laughs> I think this is the this might be like the second time ever I've worn oh, this all night sweater and I've had sweater. it like. Aww. Yeah. I didn't even realize it it's, from afar. I've had it for like four years. That's awesome. I didn't even realize it from afar. I was like, what a classy Christmas sweater. And then I was like, oh, it's a nerdy Christmas sweater. I'm just it's wearing an X red t shirt. <laughs> I'm just wearing an X red t shirt. It's nothing festive about that. Uh, the only character you could visibly Christmas. see is not fucking celebrating Christmas. It's Magneto, so. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he wouldn't for, for multiple reasons. reasons really. For multiple reasons. <laughs> Oh boy! Can you, can you imagine like a version of like the Grinch, but with Magneto? And it's like, <laughs> why don't you celebrate Christmas, Magneto? I'm, I'm Jewish, Charles. <laughs> I like all oh, that. Get grump. into the spirit. <laughs> that grump. One day we'll win him over, and his heart will grow three sizes too big. And then at the end of the night, he just magnetizes all the presents out of the town and leaves with them. <laughs> he creates Genosha and the moon. Anyway, <laughs> I think we've just improved the Grinch. I didn't know how he could do it, but it is a great idea. But we do have lots of series to talk about this week. Lots of pretty good editions uh, of many of them. So I think that we should dive into that. So we will begin with My Hero Academia, chapter number 338. The story of how we all became heroes. Part one. I remember the last time that we got like a part one, part two thing from my hero chapter titles. Usually kind of seems to stay away from that, I think. I mean, you could be like a uh, world trigger where it's just like Osamu Mikmu part 47. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't, I guess, a joke, actually. I guess they just do that. And then like in the chapter, he'll order a cup, it, it, he'll it, order a cup yeah. of coffee or something like that. And they'll be like, you didn't choose to put cream or sugar in it. And then it'll be a 45 minute dissection about why that makes him a great unit leader. <laughs> and then when he but then when we went into the simulation game, the coffee was made perfectly <laughs> <laughs> by not drinking cream or sugar. He avoids having to spend extra resources on sweetening his coffee. Also, it allows the stimulants to get into his blood a lot quicker. I need to find a way to just like hang this around my my look. It's I live in Florida. I, I don't. I can't wear sweaters. Oh, I was like, what's happening? For a moment, I was like, oh, Nick's trying to make it into like a poncho. I was like, oh, he's trying to like turn this into a McCready like uh, cosplay or something like that. You fucking nerd. Do, that. do you have another My Hero shirt underneath your My Hero sweater? <laughs> I figured it was good to match. What the fuck? I feel like you're stunting on me at this point. You're gonna be like, oh, I'm so I'm tired. <laughs> they kick your feet up and you have fucking All Might socks on. No, I don't. Okay. I don't think I own any. Oh, I have a Christmas gift idea now. Oh. So, last time on My Hero Academia, uh, Deku reached out to Aoyama and he's who's trying hands, to save him who hand, still. Whose hands were handcuffs, by the way. So. Yeah, yeah, it was a bad plan on his part. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. If no one interrupted him, I want I want the comedic beat of him reaching out and Ayama just staring at him and be like, <laughs> uh so before we can see how that's going to resolve, before we can get Ayama's response, 
Takauchi is just like, no, arrest. <laughs> they just gag him. It's like, what? aren't you trying to get answers out of this guy? Come on. <laughs> and Sukauchi's like, no, there will be no hand-holding. He's in police custody. All right. Mr. No Friends over here not letting anyone be friends. Just because you, you don't get to hold hands with anyone. All right. Uh, and he just goes over like, yeah, we can't trust him. He might be booby trapped, blah, 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 blah. Goes over all the reasons to, why it might be a be bad fair, idea to touch Ayama. It is a relatively good assumption of like, look, this dumb fucking kid might say the wrong goddamn thing. And then his head and his parents' heads explode in this oh. room. Because I was like, why do you need to gag him until it's like, oh, yeah, I guess it is talking activated <laughs> the explosives in the head thing. So. Yeah. Um, so then so Kyoji is like, all right, I'm taking over this, uh, this, uh, police interrogation with all of the children still present here. Like maybe I, honestly, like it might've been a bad move for him not to go like, okay, you guys are going to like interfere in this. So I'm, I'm actually going to have you, I am actually going to make you leave this time. He doesn't even try that. And then he's just like, Hey, you, why didn't you tell us where, where they were stationed after the raid in Camino and stuff? And they're like, well, we didn't know because he doesn't tell us those things. <laughs> didn't know, bud. Fair enough. Uh, but this is just before Deku just interrupts the proceedings again. And he just says, hey, so we can't find all for one right now. And at that moment, Kaminari starts to realize something because he's not very smart. So... He's probably the 20th person in the room to have realized where Deku's going with this, but he's like, oh, wait, maybe maybe we can use this as a chance to to decide when the villains join the fight. And they're like, oh, yeah, because Aoyama is still technically an agent of All for One, and they don't know that we've captured him and found out. So they could actually do that and trick him. And... So at this, however, at this, President Mike says, hold up, slow your roll, kiddos, because he's very cool. <laughs> is this what President Mike sounds I don't watch the anime. You would know better than I do. Is this what he sounds like? He's like, well, there, fellow kids, let's tickety talk this out. This is only a little bit goofy for him. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll just explain it that way. Hey there, all like, for one. Talk to the hand. Psych. Anyway, guys, let's really talk this out. Let's rap. I feel what you guys are leaving. Your guys are keeping it on the level right now. And well, I dig that. Well, guys, before we get jiggy with it, let's think this through. All right. <laughs> Before we pump up this jam. <laughs> trying to think how many other late 90s, early 2000s references could I slam in here? I know we all want to get okay. down and do the Macarena, but like, well, that's not even a hip thing. That was <laughs> lame from the moment it began. Before we roll back the rock and turn back the clock to another time. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Hey guys, what, I know we all want to go what is go that a ga- to? I know we all want to go go gadget forward, but sometimes we got to go go gadget backwards. <laughs> no one's like, everyone's like, I don't get this. He's he's mixing up his references. I don't even understand what he's saying. <laughs> 
Hey kids, I know everyone here likes to be Jawsome, but <laughs> to be real street sharks. <laughs> hey, I know we're all a biker mice from Mars, but it's like that wasn't even a line. You just it's said not, the title. It's not even a... <laughs> Do you wait? Hold on. Do you not know? As listen, if we're as long as we're keeping it the real cowboys of Moon Mace. <laughs> Don't have a cow and chicken, everybody. Let's pull this back and have a real discussion. Anyway, the point I was trying to make was (laughs) that what he says here, even for his, for what I'm familiar with for present Mike, is a little bit silly coming from him. So. But anyway, he tries to be like, why would you guys trust this guy? He's been betraying you all for as long as you've known him, basically. He's like, all right, come on, shut up. Just because you're making sense doesn't mean you have to ruin, ruin our friendships like this. And Ida just steps in and in typical Ida fashion just says, that is all in the past. And the responsibility also lies with us for being unable to perceive what lay in his heart, which sounds honestly um a little bit bad it's like oh you might have a little bit of a complex there yeah or hmm. you know it's like, no it's our fault for being tricked all right um but he he goes on to say the actual nice inspirational thing which is when we witness our classmate weeping in despair our urge is to reach out to him as friends to allow him to take our hand because that is the only way we can once again make him our equal and our peer which, yeah, that that makes sense. You know, if they don't do this, then in truth, Aoyama will be exactly the way that Togochi and President Mike say. So, yeah, we're going to take the chance to try and redeem him while we can. Uh, and Bakugo and uh, Kirishima also chip in with some bits. Bakugo saying, we'll forgive him after I blow him up a few times. And uh, Kirishima is saying, hey, Look, I get it. You felt like you could go up go against all for one, and that's why you obeyed him. You tried to help your folks out, and that's why you're in this situation. And but hey, when we went to go and grab Midoriya and give him a bath, uh, none of us gave him crap for being quirkless, right? Which I think is missing the forest for one particular tree. I don't think that they, anyone's really made a big deal so far about Aoyama being born corkless up to this point. So, but I mean, we okay, only he just, does bring it up. We only just really found it out too. Yes. Um, but we, they, but I think that he might be trying to also make the broader point of, we also didn't hold it against Deku for keeping things a secret from us. So we're not holding it against you that you kept this secret from us too. Cause that, yeah. But he also says, hey, come on, join us. We'll be stronger together. Sukochi tries to be like, no, nobody be friends. No. Um, but then Aizawa says something over present Mike's tablet, which he has been carrying this whole time. And you can, in fact, see it early in the chapter. I'm, I'm, I'm being sincere about that. He was holding it. So um, I don't know if we were ever actually given an indication that Aizawa was watching the proceedings at any point. I might have missed that detail. Um, and as also says, I'm partly responsible for not noticing what happened with, with Aoyama, which I mean, you're more responsible than the, than the other students. That's true. 
But then he says, Ayama, I still have no intention of expelling you. Which, given that the guy has expelled many, many students in the past, is seems like a meaningful thing to say. But then he says, I've got an idea. Detective, cover the Aoyama family's ears for a minute. And while the Aoyamas and we cannot hear this plan that he has, he explains it, and everyone looks shocked slash thoughtful about it. Uh, and eventually everyone's like, well, I guess it's worth a try. So, okay. Uh, and then Tsukochi has the Aoyamas escorted away. Uh, and he says, everyone here, keep this a secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just tell 19 teenagers to keep a secret. It'll be fine. None so. of you say anything as like Koda's on his mom, like on the phone with his mom. He's like, wait, what, was, what were we supposed to tell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Aoyama was a traitor. <laughs> I've been on speakerphone on Insta literally this entire time. I've been live streaming the you police said, interrogation. You said don't talk to anybody. But technically, live streaming isn't talking to anybody. It's talking to everybody. So it's a little <laughs> bit different. You didn't say you didn't say we couldn't stream it. Is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, as Ayama and his family are squared away, Deku calls out to him one last time. Uh, but Ayama is, you know, gagged, so he can't say anything back. He just turns sadly away, and keeps going, and then we catch up with Class One A at the dorms later. They're all kind of chilling out. Slash taking out the trash. Interesting. But uh, yeah, then they're just... it is like an interesting thing to note of like Bakugo takes out the trash. Yeah. All right. It's very necessary. I guess. I mean, look, no matter how many things are going on with your life, no matter how much drama and tension is going on, it is still important to create a cleanly environment for yourself because, you know, your environment does create your mental state in a lot of ways. So clean home. Yeah, it's it's very important. Clean mind. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, so they say that they had better prepare, and Ida and Deku agree that they uh, need to do something about their costumes, considering, of course, both of them got a bit beaten up during the uh, scuffle to bring Deku home. So they head off, and while they do so, we say Hagakure in particular go, "It'll work. This'll bring him down." And then we get this big split panel of the remaining 19 members of the class all just going, yeah, while they all look determined, which looks a bit weirder on certain characters than others. <laughs> I don't want to see Mineta's face look like that. Uh, <laughs> all right. You got to you got to you got to remove three from this three that you just absolutely hate. Like, I don't like. Uh, on this one. OK. Uh, because he doesn't have the eyes for it. Yes, that's true. Uh, Mineta. OK. Uh, as previously indicated, and uh, Coda, because I don't think he's supposed to ever look mean. I was like, going to say, this is so, so weird. It almost looks like a different character when you see him angry. Um, I would have also accepted uh, Jiro, who looks less like she is angry about something and more like she's really trying to hold in a fart or something. <laughs> <laughs> and also Uraraka, who kind of just looks like she stepped in something and she's just like, I fucking hate today. <laughs> <sighs> no one must, no one must ever know. <laughs> also, Kaminari looks like he's on something right now. 
<laughs> yeah, he, he. I don't know why his mouth is wide. Oh, I guess it's him saying yeah, but um, yeah, he's he's got a little. He's 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 trying to a little too hard here. I think. So, then we move on to see Deku's determined expression as he heads to the development studio of the campus, which make, makes sense. His uh, his outfit got all beat up, and hey, going into the final battle, it's a good time to get some nice last-minute loadouts. Uh, but as he tries to open the door, there's an explosion. And the door bursts open, and smoke and flames burst out, and he just goes, huh, deja vu. And then as the smoke clears, hey, it's Hatsume. And she fell into Deku with her boobs in his face. Just but, like but this time, Deku isn't nervous. But... Deku is in focused and intent. So even though he has been smushed with a face full of boobs, he is still mm, intensely staring forward, prepared for the fight ahead. Honestly, this is way funnier than the last time that it happened. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have to admit, just because it's so weird seeing his face like that. It's but at the same time, this is now Hatsume's defining character trait. She falls boobs first into Deku, and that's what she does. Also, she makes support items, but was, she falls I boobs first. Say, I, I would say her being a support item inventor is probably her defining character trait, but yes, it, it is now a character uh gimmick of hers that she will be reintroduced into the story boobs first into Deku. Um, but I at least appreciate because it's a dumb joke, but I can at least appreciate the the growing escalation of it. And I did just laugh at Deku having no reaction to it. He's just got the steely eyed focus for some reason. And I I just kind of had to laugh at it because it's so dumb. I don't know what else you're supposed to do. I only wish Ida hadn't reacted to it either. I wish he had also been staring straight forward. Like all of class 1A is comedically so super focused. It doesn't matter what shenanigans are going on around them. They're looking forward. Like it cuts over to fucking uh, Soji and he's like in the soup Nazi scene from Seinfeld. And he's just standing there the whole time, like eyes focused as all this wackiness is going on around him or whatever. You're just like, oh yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> All these people are unable to appreciate any levity at this moment. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think I'm with you on the. It's nice that something different was done this time. In general, though, wish this hadn't happened. <laughs> Especially because, like, I guess I'll give it props for like it does shock you at the end of a very like, oh man, this is serious chapter. So I'll give it that. So. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go over to Undead Unlock. Let's go over there, Nick, to number 92. Taste. Once upon a time, there was a demon made of cherry blossoms. Uh, and anyway, the demon got hit by a bunch of rocks. People didn't like him. It was real mean. We uh, <laughs> were in a backstory all about all about spring to give even more context. This character showing now spring was chased away. But he pondered how to best know every or earn everyone's friendship. And the demon had an epiphany and he saw a toy that these two kids were playing with. And he was like, oh, I want that. I'll take that. And then these people will play games with me. And 
he became bigger. Uh, he got a full human body eventually, and he just kept taking people's games and, and putting them into this chest. And he would just want somebody to play with him, but no one would because he was a big naked monster thing. And uh, it was kind of a terrifying. Uh, so he secluded himself up in the mountains, accepting that he would never get along with humans. But that was until he met another person, and it was the Ashin from that time. And that person, we saw a little snippet of this flashback before of this person meeting up with Spring and having this relationship. And we see how it kind of comes to a more big fruition here of, hey, I saw your, like, the reason why Ashin looks like spring is because like hey i made this mask based on your wanted poster you know so i wouldn't alarm you at all and you know that's why spring's like holy shit your face came off like no it's a mask but hey now we know why shin looked kind of a lot like spring uh and hey yes. we're gonna teach you how to play with the spain top because you have all these games but you don't know how to play with them or anything like that and of course spring's just like why would you want to play with me i'm the demon of blossoms you know and the Shin is just like, yeah, they say you're a symbol of death and misfortune, but that's a tasteless thing to say. People are killing each other in a turf war, and that's not because of an ill omen. That's human sin wrought by human hands. And uh, it's a very sweet little uh, speech because it, it's a way to take all that responsibility off of this creature who believes its divine purpose is to be misfortune to people. Uh, so they decide to start playing games together. Uh, and Spring even notes, I want to play a bunch. And they would play a bunch of games, and we can see, uh, learning the card game, that's name I've forgotten at this point, uh, and taught how to use, uh, spin top, and all those sorts of things. And, uh, we even get, like, added context of, like, hey, here's why Spring wears pants. It's because the shit was like, you should have these. You should Put on these pants. <laughs> Please, put on these pants. <laughs> Uh, you know, and saying, hey, uh, like this shit at that time's even knowing, hey, I have myself a wife. I'm terrible with women, but when I get talking about cherry blossoms, she said she's like cherry blossoms too. Spring's like, I see, but that's not for everyone. They all still fear what I am. And Ashin, as we saw before, gives this speech about how they're going to do this overthrowing of the shogunate that is going to be bloodless. And as a result of that, the cherry blossoms are going to be at the heart of it, and everyone will fall in love with spring. And that bloodless siege happens, Japan goes into the Meiji era, and the demon that watched from atop the mountain was filled with glee. But he had forgotten he was a demon, a UMA, and suddenly God took over. We see the mind control happen, and spring goes on a rampage. We don't see the rampage, we see him coming out of it terrified of what's happening because he's just holding all of his toys he's like what happened what, what am i doing did i do all this and shin says yeah i heard you were riding a muck out here someone was challenging villagers to bets and taking the lives of whoever lost a demon they said so spring bows down and begs Ashin to kill him please the world shall keep going round with or without me and uh, shin says what a tasteless request after all i love you i love spring my ties with you, my ties with my wife, this mark of a new era without any bloodshed, all are those, uh, all are the tidings of spring. Spring isn't a season of misfortune. We're going to need spring in the future. So if you want to die so bad, call it. And slams the, the cup and dice down. We'll stake our lives on this gamble. If you really do embody misfortune, then go ahead and lose to me. 
But if you win this, then try living a little longer, will ya? And we get the, uh, the follow-up. The demon won, although he felt he was handed this victory somehow. Still, the demon decided to honor his promise, and he said, he's thinking to himself, For how long must I? Right, well, let's see. Till that day comes, the day when people like me act in earnest and play with you. And we cut back to the present as Andy's big super attack has cut through spring, ripped open, and Fuko rips straight through, and South Spring, come on, let's play. And we finished the little quote from Mishin from before saying, till people with taste cross paths with you. It was a great chapter. Yeah. It's a nice backstory. I love how it continues to provide this very, very just sad look into Spring's personality where he just wanted to make friends and play with people because he's basically just a kid, mm -hmm. like an eternal young kid. You know, it's a it's a twist on, you know, the spring time of youth kind of thing where he never gets a chance to mature and grow because he can't interact with people. He can't be any different. Uh, and the only time that he's ever been able to make a friend, it apparently ended in disaster. Um, but despite that, we have this idea that, yeah, someday someone's going to help him. And it does also push forward the idea very strongly that, yeah, Spring's going to die at the end of this. But maybe that's not a bad thing because it seems like it's going to be something that he's kind of been waiting for. Yeah, so. I, I, I thought it was a really well done backstory. A lot of little details. I had to skip over some stuff, uh, but they even show like how spring came about uh his very unique style of speaking and things like that um but yeah just a really really sweet little backstory given a lot of time to just breathe in a, a full chapter and we've seen little snippets of it to this point so it really really came together pretty awesome yeah all right nick let's talk also, about it's just pretty cool let's so. talk about that best chapter of the week boruto <laughs> boruto boruto all right, so Boruto number 65, Kama Power, uh, featuring a color page of Naruto. Who does. <laughs> yeah, oh, Kip keeps looking in my way. <laughs> um, last time, Boruto used Karma Power to fight Code, but then he collapsed, and that's where he is this time. And. So, they start to go, is this a side effect of the meds? And then all of a sudden, there's a sound effect that goes, King! and I swear, for a second, I thought, because this is a Naruto spinoff, I thought, did he just fart? Because it looks like the sound effect is coming out of his butt while he's hunched over. And I was like, I would not be surprised at all if that were the case. Also, there's this weird smoke going everywhere. Oh, no. It turns out that time has stopped and he's experiencing a vision. Oh, look. It's Momoshiki. And Momoshiki's up in a tree. Now he's not. He says, even if you halt karmic extraction with some trifling drug, it's no more than a stopgap measure. Hello again, foolish lad. And Bart is like, you, Momoshiki. Yes, 
but he can't move. And so he looks around and sees that Kawaki is frozen. Code is frozen. And then we cut to where Ada is and she's frozen. Which I don't know how Boruto perceives that. <laughs> he knows. He's like, hey, I don't hear any ladies talking. They must all be frozen in time. So he's just like, oh man, it feels like time itself has stopped. This happened before. On that day, right after we took Momoshiki down. Remember that? Yeah, that's probably when he implanted the karma in me. Yeah. It probably is. Okay. Well, you know, maybe he's not sure. He's finally putting all together. Look, he's like 12, Nick. You know, sometimes he's just got to figure these things out. It's tough. He's got a lot of things going on. Maybe he put the, the karma in me when I was, you know, eating that corn dog the other day. <laughs> oh, it was a big corn dog. I was barely paying attention. You could have gotten it at any time. Uh, so. <sighs> this is so weird. So. Momoshiki goes, you know, like, oh, he looks at Code and goes, worthless dregs. He's the one who has the divine tree seedling ten tails, isn't he? What a perfect chance to kill him. Move aside, boy. And then stuff just starts again. Like, there's no indication of, oh, Momoshiki is in control of Boruto or whatever. Just, just immediately after he says that, stuff starts, starts moving. And then you see, oh, the mark is on Boruto's face. But this time, Momoshiki's in control. Because he looks so different from before. His headband came off. That's how you know he's evil now. Is that his headband came off. Yeah. But super chakra fruited up. Boruto possessed by Momoshiki is super powerful now. Because he holds his hand out and uses a Rasengan. But it's a super huge Rasengan. Which is actually very difficult to appreciate. Because it's not in a very large panel it just kind of is there and then just you don't see it actually affect anything just like smoke goes everywhere so it doesn't leave any impact despite the fact that you're supposed to realize how much stronger momoshiki is when he's in control of boruto's body anyway code dodges it with his claw mark things anyway so it doesn't matter and so he's like oh man you're so strong uh, it's no wonder that you killed boro and boruto, boruto momoshiki says It'll be the same for you. You'll learn soon enough. Just nobody talks like a regular person in this manga anymore. So we cut to where Amado is talking with Sai and Sumire. And they're like, Kawaki's encountered code. Let's recap all the stuff that other characters know about, but that we specifically don't. So they do that. So then at the end of it... I, well, can we, can we can we specifically call attention to Sai saying something, Amato yes. saying nothing, and then be like, "Are you listening?" Or are your ears plugged with wax? And I was like, because I wasn't paying attention to the scene when I first heard. I was like, "Who's this asshole?" And I was like, "Sai, was Sai always this much of an asshole?" And I was like, "I guess he was, but yeah, but he used to be like an asshole because he was like antisocial and didn't know how to talk to people. But now he just sounds like you know he's." An idiot. So, okay. <laughs> Amado is ignoring him and is muttering to himself, which Sumire notices. We don't actually hear what he's muttering, but we hear Amado's thoughts, which are, come on, Kawaki, you've gotten this far. Don't you muck it up now. 
And Sumire is staring at him going, ah. Which, I don't know what either of these two characters are actually doing right now. So, like, I know Sumire doesn't trust Amado with anything, but what is she getting from him staring out the window and muttering to himself? I mean, or does she just not like that he smokes? Is that it? She is might. She doesn't I mean, like look, it. it's a very unhealthy habit. I'm not saying it's not cool looking. We all agree. Smoking looks very cool, but it is extremely unhealthy for you. So don't do it. Um, she might also just be like, I don't know. Maybe she's like picking up. Maybe he's muttering like. A, I was going to say a spell. I was like, we don't have magic per se. So I don't know. I don't know. She's picking up on something. Smart. Smart. is a smart girl. I, I trust her. Okay. Okay. Uh, Momoshiki Barto, meanwhile. <laughs> who is she? I don't know. Uh, she's a girl who has a crush on Boruto. Oh, and okay. Is... You can stop there. We've already informed everything important that will be about her character, I presume. <sighs> yeah. Hang on. Hang on. I don't think Serata has a crush on anyone yet. I don't yet. think she does. Yet. Okay, so Boruto shoots some more Rasengans. They're very big, I guess. It's kind of hard to tell because all that we can see is when they go and smoke and dust go up everywhere. We don't see them hit anything or blow anything up. They just go and that's it. Uh, Code has not been hit yet, but Ada contacts him and says, Code, you might want to retreat. There's no way you hold up against an opponent that powerful. Look at how big all the dust clouds he's kicking up are. Uh, Kawaki looks at Boruto possessed by Momoshiki in quote unquote horror because look at all the dust surrounding him. That's how strong he is. Uh, but then, um, Code grabs him from behind in, 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 um, Honestly, it doesn't look like he's holding him that securely. No, I don't know how this is meant to be like an intense hold because it's like, I got my arm around yours and then my hand, not like on your mouth kind of, it kind of looks like it's hovering over your mouth and your legs are free and one arm and your neck really you have almost unrestrained movement at this point but you are helpless within my grasp yeah he's not actually holding the grip on the on the arm in any way too and he's not doing anything to stop kawaki's other arm so he could he's got most also, of his body free and so. and you would assume use your big creepy hands to turn them into like a blade finger and have that at least to his throat. So you have like yeah. an intimidating thing, but your hands over his mouth. So what does that do? You're like, so the, I'll stop you from breathing. You're like, you know, that's not how you asphyxiate someone, right? I'll stop him from using jutsus. Like that's not how you use jutsus. Is it? <laughs> He's like, well, I thought all spells needed a verbal component. You're like, this is what you don't understand. It's not, Look, there are cantrips and ways to get around that. Sorcerers can take meta magic, which allows them to cast silent spell. It's a whole thing. Some spells don't even have a verbal component. Also, we don't use spells here. It's jutsu. You're an idiot. So then we get, okay, look, I, I try not to say every time, I try not to say every time there were a lot of speed lines in Boruto. There's a lot of speed lines after this point. The entire There's chapter. So many. So 
Boruto gets set to shoot another Rasengan, but Ko goes, Whoa there, don't you want the chakra fruit too, Momoshiki? Then you'll need him as your Otsutsuki sacrifice to feed the Ten Tails. You might want to stand down. I'm taking him with me for a private matter. Okay. Uh, so he starts to disappear into his claw mark to get away, and Boruto does something <laughs> that would be cool if you could see it happening, which is... He shrinks the giant Rasengan down and fires it like a bullet, which he calls Rasendan, and it shoots out and blasts a hole in Cold's shoulder. I say, if you could see it happening, because you can't see anything with all these speed lines everywhere. I anyway, also, I also like to note that like the, there was the big tension of like, oh, fucking Code can transport himself anywhere between his his two little fucking straps. Except apparently it's slow enough that you could aim and fire a gun in the meantime, which seems to indicate it's not that fast of a way to transport between them. So it's kind of a bad trick because it's like, I don't know, can't you like teleport the ninja world faster than that? <sighs> so Kogus in the shoulder, it immediately knocks his very secure grip on Kawaki free. Bar- Barto flies in and kicks him in the face and kicks him away. And goes, what a dud, Karma. You can't even absorb jutsu with it, can you? Okay. Uh, so then Borotomoshiki grabs Kawaki and uh, is like, uh, come with me. But Kawaki's like, let me go. And Borotomoshiki's like, that's the way to talk to the one who rescued you. Be nice or I'll break all your limbs and shut you up. So Kawaki goes, Bastard! And transforms his arm into a claw thing, which he could have done two seconds ago while his arm was free, while he was held captive. So, then, I swear to God, we enter a time loop briefly. So, Boruto kicks Kawaki in the face and knocks him to the ground. He goes to crush Kawaki's arm, but ha! A shadow grabs him. What? Shadow paralysis? It's Shikamaru. He stops him. Also, they didn't see him sneaking up, and he was apparently six feet away when he grabbed They're this. ninjas, Nick. You can't ever see what they're doing. Uh, Naruto dashes in and grabs Kawaki and gets him to safety, and they're like, oh man, Boruto's running amok. Boruto Moshiki uses the karma to absorb the shadow paralysis. So, oh no, he's broken free of the shadow paralysis. It's a good thing he could move his hand out of the shadow paralysis to absorb the chakra, but whatever. Uh, Ada says some stuff to Code and says, you should get away, Code, like I've been saying. And then Naruto is like, are you okay, Kawaki? And Kawaki's like, Hokage, you need to leave. Why are there speed lines behind us? Well, I'm just saying stuff. Anyway, you should run away. And Naruto's like, no. <laughs> it really does. It really does drive up how unnecessary the speed lines are when it's two characters statically talking to each other in a pretty calm. Like, I know the scene's pretty intense, but it's just like, why are you here? And like the background's going crazy. You think that if like you uh, get a scanner. Like, uh, you, you hold over certain panels of boards, so it'll, like, uh, it'll ring it up for you. Like, it'll tell you what prize you win or something. <laughs> oh, if I scan this right now and it comes up, it's like, oh, hacky sack. That's, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> Every page of Boruto is a, is, a, is a secret puzzle to figure out. I didn't realize this was an option. I wonder if we could let, like, um, uh, Ashihara know that this is just something you could do if you don't want to draw backgrounds and like spend time. You could just put speed lines in every scene, and it's a lot easier to get it out at that point. 
Uh, Naruto's like, I'm the Hokage. I'm not going to run from an enemy that threatens the village. Uh, (laughs) I turn the page and (laughs) Code has grabbed Shikamaru and is like, no, don't try anything. (laughs) It's such a bizarre moment. There is nothing to indicate this happened aside from Code saying, like, ah, Shikamaru is here and then smirking. And you're like, did he set, like, a strap up behind? Like, I know you could just presume these things, but it would have actually made Code look a little bit cooler if he did. Also, did Code get a lot bigger? Because Code, when he's behind Shikamaru, or when he's behind uh, Kawaki, is, like, the same height as him. But when he's wrapped, when he's behind Shikamaru, he's the same height as Shikamaru almost. Like, did he just grow? Maybe it's because he was coming up through the, maybe he, maybe it's because he came through the claw mark when he grabbed Kawaki and I, he's more on his feet with Shikamaru. I maybe. guess. Maybe. I was like, because isn't Code kind of like given the proportions of like a teenager or something like that? Like, he's not supposed to be like a full grown person quite yet. Maybe I, I, I might be he, missing that, but. He Maybe he's just so cool that he can just be what height he wants. Oh, he hit his growth spurt. Oh, he's growing yeah. up. I'm proud of him. <laughs> um, so, Ko just goes, don't move, Hokage, or I'll kill Shikamaru. And Shikamaru basically goes, you won't. And <laughs> <laughs> Bet you won't, bitch. What? Huh? So, uh, then Boruto Momoshiki goes, fascinating. I think I shall help you, Code. Kill the Hokage, that is. People don't talk like this. So. (laughs) I'll help you kill the Hokage. (laughs) So he holds out his hand to shoot a a Rasengan. And fortunately, a lot of stuff happens before he can, you know, go back. Which is, Shikamaru goes, fight them, Naruto! And Kawaki goes, ha! And throws himself at Boruto Momoshiki. And ha! Uses his, his, make his hands into weird shapes thing to try and claw out Boruto. And then Boruto kicks him in the face again! <laughs> this like, In a JoJo chapter, this is where Kawaki would be like, I've been through this scene already. It must be the work of an enemy stand. <laughs> Uh, so Naruto's like, uh, what do I do? And Boruto Momoshiki goes, checkmate, Hokage. Resign yourself, no matter how strong one is, the end is often pitifully abrupt. And then he goes, massive Rasengan. (laughs) And there's a big Rasengan, and you can kind of tell it's big because there's a tiny Boruto Momoshiki in it, but you can't really see the scale of it otherwise. No, Uh, And so he's like, whoa. Here's the artistic talent. See, normally we complain about too many speed lines, but... Interestingly, the artist of Boruto this time used a different trick, which was to surround all of the action with clouds of dust. So you can't tell that there's any background, to be honest. It's it's just a Rasengan, Boruto, and dust. So now you don't need the speed run, the speed lines. It actually is it's it's a it's a clever trick. It's subtle. You won't notice it all the time. But uh, you know, it's nice to get that variance. Yes. Isn't it? So he shoots the Rasengan, 
And then it goes, and I guess you're supposed to be able to tell before you see it that it's being absorbed because Kawaki can use the karma. And we get a flashback to when Amato had said, oh, it frustrates you that you don't have the power of karma anymore. Then you just need to take it for yourself, especially since the Shiki is gone, just in the form of a karma that's purely a weapon. And Kawaki has karma again. And it goes up and goes and makes a horn on his head. And he looks kind of dumb. And he looks a little bit like a Shiki. Uh, which is, you know, it's good. It's, it's, you know, showing he has a resemblance to the, the person who gave him karma. Um, then it's just extra. Then it's just really extra. It's a lot of tattoos, you know. So I'm just going to say this. If the next time that we get world trigger, if it spends a lot of time spinning its wheels, I am not going to complain because... Holy shit, did this chapter take 44 pages to give us about 10 pages of content, which included very obviously just repeating the exact same sequence in a row, just with different characters involved. It was very, very weird to read this chapter, and I just don't like Boruto right now. I'm really sad. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I, this is one of my least favorite chapters of Boruto this year, because not only is it bad, like most Boruto chapters have tended to be this year, um, but it also wasn't particularly interesting either. Uh, normally, I enjoy when we get to talk about Boruto, because we find something to really dunk on, like a censor ninja or Code himself or something. Uh, this one didn't really have anything like that. It, it was just kind of a lot of boring exposition happens. A bunch of characters were held hostage for like 15 seconds in very ineffectual and tensionless scenes. And then it ended and Kawaki has revealed he still has karma. And it's like, cool. But yeah, it didn't didn't feel like this was really worth the uh, the big wait. I guess the Resendon was a pretty cool moment. So I, that was kind of cool. Yeah, you got that. All right, that's that's it for, for Boruto. Let's talk about Eden Zero. Let's talk about it, Nick. So we're going to be talking about Eden Zero, Chapter 172, Universe 3. They don't have a question mark. I added that, though, because what is Universe 3? We're going to find out. Because, weirdly, a chapter named after a new concept then goes on to explain that concept. However, before we get that, we must first talk about what may be the most revolting thing that Mashima Hero has ever done in my life uh, in manga. Uh... That is, have a conversation between four characters who are all talking while chewing. Every single character in this scene is fucking horfing down some fucking food and having this talk. We know because there are giant horf sound effects as they all just pile food into their mouth. The fact that they are eating has no context on this scene. I don't know why they are all loudly chewing and eating, <laughs> but they all are. I'm I'm adding to the context of this by making your your chewing sound effects it's, for you. <laughs> oh man, it's it, I don't know why it. I was really like, oh, this is horrifying. I hate this. Um, anyway, I mean, I guess I, I I guess it does like add a little bit of like okay, there's something different going on while they're talking instead of them having a scene where they're just in an empty hallway or surrounded by nothing or even worse. If they're just in a bathhouse for no reason. So 
I kind of, I almost would have appreciated it. Anyway, uh, last chapter. Yeah. Move on. Captain Connors is explaining like, hey, you guys are going to be basically. They filled him all in details. Like, you guys are going to be liberating uh, the plants that Ziggy invaded. And you know, Shiki's like, yeah, we're fighting Ziggy. And he's like, oh, I had no idea the people doing this were children. So they're like, hey, can you tell us where that robot factory is? He's like, oh, yeah, but I hope you're not planning to go there. It's a very dangerous place. And they're like, we're going to do it. We got to do it. We got to beat Ziggy anyway. And Connors explains, yeah, it's a living factory, a planet that produces soldiers automatically. The perpetual motion planet, the planet Lendard. So I wanted to stress Lendard right there because we just went from a planet that was full of forest called Forresta and a sand planet that was called Sandra. I really fully expected the perpetual machine planet, robot planet to be like Robota or something like that. Or or Perpetua or something. But because it's called Lendard and the last planet was called Sandra, I probably will call this planet Leonard a hundred times just because (laughs) that's what my mind is like. No, the planets are like, named after old people names right like that's just like what they're like they're, they're giving people names uh we cut over as rebecca is having a conversation with noah and she asks hey what world are we in and he explains ah well in the numbering system you're familiar with you are in world 416 and they're like what how how has that happened and he explains look Every time you use Cat Leaper, you are creating a new world. Kind of adding to this thing, I think I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the numbering system, everything was very confusing. Uh, because ro- world number 416, that's showing every time she uses it, her 90 second reverse leap and everything like that, it creates this new world. It causes virtually no changes, except maybe to the people around her. But eventually the idea is that history would recorrect itself and converge to a predetermined timeline. So... The greater future does not change. However, the second type of time leaper ability you have, the one that goes much further back, that creates alternate realities entirely. Those are called universes. And the world that you are in right now is universe three. So universe one. Well, first, Rebecca is like, wait, when did we go to universe three? And he's like, you didn't know when it happened. And he says it was three years ago, right before Nero 66 was destroyed. I was sure you used your power to escape. And she says, I don't remember doing that. And he's like, huh? Well, according to my eye of God, there was a moment when the locations of a great many people changed, like when you fought Draken. We most certainly have moved over to Universe 3. And she's like, and you know the future of the world before we move away from it, right? He's like, not really. <laughs> like, I don't know the exact thing, but if you guys had stayed, you and Shiki would have died. Mm. And... Happy's like, I wonder when the change happened exactly. And we we cut back to that image of, of Ziggy being like, you made the wrong choice. And they're like, huh. So about Connor, the guy who, you know, has moved from Universe 1 to 2. In Universe 1, he was drifting. In Universe 2, he was a captain on Ziggy's ship. It looks like in Universe 3, he really is somebody who just escaped the robot factory. And they're like, yes, well, that's how things work. In the multiverse, because Nick, of madness, yeah, every Nick, what's hotter right now in media? Multiverses, nothing's hotter than it. Everything needs a multiverse. I haven't told you a little present for next year. We're starting up the weekly manga recap multiverse, where I guess, I guess it would just be what if we decide to talk about Jujutsu Kaisen instead of Undead Unlock, and 
in that universe, I've gone insane and I'm the Joker, <laughs> but you've also gone insane and you're the Green Goblin. And uh, our fate, our paths never cross. It's weird. We occupy too much like space overlap, so we just go on and do our own things. But we're reconvening to talk about manga each week. We have no idea who the other is. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> like I'm like, hey Nick, is that a pumpkin bomb in the corner of your screen? You're like, no, it's not. And you slap it away. And there's a big explosion in the background. Get shot. Anyway, Bleach was great this week. <laughs> oh, Bleach is back in that world. Oh man. Uh, I mean, Bleach is back in this world. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, so uh, we cut over to Cotter, who is just teaching uh, Pino to make weird sounds and then also to swear, which I actually thought was kind of funny. I, I did think that was funny. She's like, yeah. oh, she also taught me something called the F word. And I was like, oh, all right. Uh, but they explained, hey, so that's it. Like, there are worlds now, like World 30 or whatever. But really, in practicality, the only thing we should need to track are universes, because universe one is where Shiki got killed, and universe two, that's where they all were going to die on the planet. So universe three is where they're all are right now, and no one knows exactly how they got there. Um, yeah. It's an interesting thing to, to go through, and it does lend, I think, retroactively more weight to that scene we got of Shiki making his choice uh, and being told that they were at a crossroads. Um, mm -hmm. And it gives an indication that, okay, so it's not just the cat leaper power that causes these huge changes to happen. It can be other things. And maybe that's just supposed to signify, you know, some ability or some importance that Shiki has. Yeah, I, I do hope we get more clarification on that because that would be my assumption. That was when the world was created because that was when we as an audience were specifically presented with the idea that there was a branchy path that was made here and one path would almost certainly just lead to destruction and Shiki took the other path, which was supposedly the wrong one. Um, I know some people are also saying, well, Rebecca also did that unconscious leap into the future to see what would happen if she lost her cat leaper legs and maybe that's what created the alternate timeline or whatever but mm, it's not true clear. so i am curious to see because if it is that branchy part of shiki i would be curious to find the reason because as i said yeah like it's a big thing that rebecca has this power but what is it about shiki that created that moment where he got to create that divergence so interesting little detail uh we cut over to not urza who's like the planet leonard eh I told you i came from Cade. leonard was always an industrial plant but i heard it stopped operating several years ago because, uh, and Hermit says, because Ziggy took it over and turned it into a skeleton, uh, his skeleton army factory. And uh, Elsie's like, all right, me and my crew will head there. Uh, we'll we'll tend in that factory piece by piece. And they're like, cool, maybe we'll find some clues. And Elsie's like, no, that's where we'll find him. That's where we'll find Ziggy. And all right. And uh, why do you know that? Because he'll be there, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that I can't fault her, 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 her logic if it turns out that by plot convenience, uh, yes, he is there. So where yeah. else would he be? All right. We found a secret yeah, factory. I mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I guess he's got to be there because Elsie said it and she's Urza. So I, I do like that there is like it, it feels like there should have been more of a clue that the idea of a factory that perpetually creates robots might potentially be the place where an evil army robot factory would be. And if that's the case, that's probably where Ziggy would be. Like, I understand the cosmos is a big place, 
Right. Uh, but it is some. It's just mildly amusing to me that they're just like, oh, did we, did anyone ever think to check the robot making planet? <laughs> oh shit, he's been there all along making robots, evil robots. Look, we are going to find. We're going to look over there eventually, but we're first going to search every last square inch of the dead end planet for leads. Okay. <laughs> planet Red Herring. Now we have to go finish <laughs> that one first. Uh, so we cut over to Planet Leonard as a bunch of robots are being made, and we see a man standing atop overseeing this army being created. And Nick, wouldn't you know, it's one of the... It's demon- the real Four Dark. <laughs> well, sort of. It's the four It's the four Dark Stars. We see Wizard, we see Clown, who are the two that are still alive. And then we see the Mark II versions of Brigadine and Killer. And Killer now has an anime boy design, so he's probably not going to be exploded as easily this time, question mark? One would think, yeah. I, I'm still at a point, they just presumably built a new version of Brigadine and Killer, um, which begs the question, can you just build super powerful robots like that? If so, why not build a billion of them? Because... <laughs> Look. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just curious. The fact that they Look, brought the there's back only so many the... robots they can make. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. It sets some sort of precedent. If you could just rebuild them, I guess that's one thing. But then, I don't know. Are they better now, <laughs> or do they still suck? <laughs> Um, and then we see the head honcho in a big two-page spread, the reintroduction of Ziggy. I don't know why he gets a two-page spread. I guess because he has sweet new pauldrons that dropped from the last raid he did. And yeah. he's like, he wants to show them off. Yeah, that that's, yeah. There's Ziggy, and they're, oh, they're going to go and fight each other. Amazing. The standoff with Ziggy at the uh, end of the last arc is now leading at the beginning of this arc after the long time skip, a confrontation with Ziggy. <laughs> Nick, the long time coming fight. I mean, I guess it has been kind of long coming since it was like sort of introduced at the start of it. But yeah, they've they've interacted in what feels like almost every major arc. So I guess in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I guess it's you know it's time to finally happen. I well, actually didn't well, mind. I didn't mind this chapter. I thought most of it was kind of cool in a way um so i i i I like we have more explanation to the cat leaper and the worlds and universes and everything like that i appreciate that yeah it builds the lore and the uh different kind of gimmicks of the series in a way that i do appreciate uh which yeah i'll I'll definitely always say that like in like a a hero series if there's something i like i'll be like yeah i like that surprisingly so okay Let's move on to Doron Dororon. Um, so we begin chapter four, combined strength, awkwardly enough, in like a really, really minor flashback, just to let us know that um is that a flashback or is it just like shaded really weirdly to let us know the lights are off? Anyway, Dora is asleep in his room. They get a call saying, Hey, you gotta go to the Akiyama entrance, and if you're late <laughs> Uh, so, so Kusanagi wakes up Dora and they have to race off and it's the middle of the night. Oh my gosh. And so they go out 
to a cliff face, like in the middle of goddamn nowhere, where Ginchio is waiting for them. And she's like, you're late. And she's acting playful, but she also has an angry vein. So I don't know what she's experiencing, what emotion she's experiencing this moment. But she's like, hey, we agreed that when I call you to come right away, right? And Dora's like, it's three in the morning. But she points out, is that what you're going to say if a, Monono- if a Mononoke kills someone? Mononoke attacks mostly happen at night, so you got to be ready to go all the time. Uh, and Kusanagi agrees, yeah, our supernatural energy does get more powerful at night. And Ginjio says, if the two of you aren't useful, I'm going to have to eliminate that Mononoke. There's no place for losers in this game. So they're like, okay, we'll do better. So then Dora's like, all right, where's the Mononoke? we got to fight it. And Ginjio says, there isn't one. This was a test. And he goes... <laughs> And then he goes, what? And she goes, just kidding. Come with me. So the very moment I read that exchange where I was just like, hmm, maybe it was a mistake to add this to the (laughs) recap. Because I, I, it took me just, I don't know why it took me like three rereads to fucking figure out what that fucking exchange even meant. Because at first I was like, so there's no thing. And then they go into the woods. So I was like, okay, there is a thing. And I was like, so it's just this one panel joke where she's like, it's a joke. There wasn't one. Tim would be like, what? And she's like, no, there is one. Let's go. And you're like, I don't understand. What is this character? What does she do? She's like a shit stirrer, but she, she just she sucks. I hate her, Nick. I don't know what to say. It's hard to get a grab, grab on her, grasp on her. And I think that as partially intentional as like this very two-faced person that she is, um, but it seemed like she was very upfront with them after she dropped the whole act of like, oh, I'm trying to kill Kusanagi. This was just that so I could, you know, gauge what your intentions were. But now it seems like, no, that's just going to be like how she is, apparently, because just constantly like being bald facedly uh, deceptive uh, and like immediately confessing to when she's been lying when called on it. So they go out to the wilderness a little bit. And Ginjio senses something, so she falls to her knees. And Dora's like, what kind of samurai falls on her butt? And she goes, oh, my legs gave out. See, I'm not a samurai. I'm just a regular person. And my legs gave out. And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, because I'm a regular person, so now you have to protect me. And a big old hog, okay, comes up out of the ground. Because hogs... Dig underground, I guess. Anyway, it's a Yamakujira, and it wants to eat humans. So they're going... Uh, oh, and also he managed to swallow uh, Kusanagi because he pushed them out of the way so they wouldn't get swallowed when it attacked them. Uh, so Genshiro's like, oh, wow, that Monoke sacrificed itself to save us. How shocking. And Dora's like, well, I've got to do something. Uh, and Genshiro's like, okay, well, it seems like a heat that... That was a good guy, but uh, I better go, you know, kill this thing. So she gets ready to draw her sword and Dora's like, no, no, you're a regular person, right? So, which I guess now he's all into this idea. He's like, like, now we're going to, hey, you made the rules of this game. We're going to follow it. You can't start playing pretend if you're not going to follow through. Yeah. Once we start, we play till the end. Okay. I could definitely see him being sliced alone. So Genshiro is like, well, you've got no supernatural energy and Kusanagi's not with you, so you've got no power. And Dora's like, don't underestimate us! Uh, oh, he's Sylvester Stallone. 
Yamakujira starts going after Dora and Genshio. Dora starts carrying her around to safety, and Genshio's like, Yeah, I don't like being carried like a princess. Okay. Uh, that was very like, nice, you know. You didn't have to be so fucking rude about it. I mean, come on, just give me some respect. Okay, you, you're not like you know. Just want to make that clear. Like any humans, it's a lot of weight. His bones, his guts, his muscles, his nervous system, his optic nerves, no, his spine, his blood, your blood, the skin, yeah. hair. Uh, follicles clothes <laughs> just like he's just like listing off body parts while the, while the thing is eating him <laughs> you got joints <laughs> why does my leg hurt sweat. so much sweat glands <laughs> you got sweat that's just that into the weight she's like I don't think that's how it works also you're being eaten I was wondering why my back hurts so much it appears to be getting you know disemboweled you know what's in the back Oh, there's a spine, <laughs> spinal column, it's spinal ribs, <laughs> spinal fluid. I bet you didn't think about that. It's a weird character. <laughs> so, so Dora says he believes in Kusanagi. We cut to inside the Gumachio's stomach to where Kusanagi has turned into the form of Woody Woodpecker and is like pecking at its insides to try and get him to let it out. And the Mononoke just kind of goes, itchy. it doesn't do anything, despite the fact that he's being rapidly pecked from inside the stomach. Uh, he attacks Dora some more. Uh, Dora's getting beaten up by, I don't know, getting hit by the thing's nose as it dives at him, I guess. Uh, and then Kusanagi's like, Dora's waiting for me. I've got to go help. And he looks around rapidly for some sort of a way out. I thought for a second they were going to have him go out this thing's butt, but no, he does something different. Uh, Dora puts down, tries to go and put down Genshio, but uh, no, he does. Uh, oh, no, he says that he's not going to put her down. And Genshio's just like, all right, fine. Uh, he can't get away from the thing. And eventually, suddenly, the giant Mononoke just goes, yeah! and starts swiping at its own stomach. And then it spits up Kusanagi, who dives out and uh, reunites with Dora. And Dora's like, what did you do? It was freaking out. And Dora's like, Kusanagi's like, oh, remember that time? And we get a flashback to an earlier moment where there were mosquitoes that were bothering Dora. And Kusanagi is like, oh, is that bad? I've never had mosquito bites. And Kusanagi says in the present, attacking it didn't work. So I just tickled it a bunch from the inside. That's pretty clever of you. Yeah, tickling is a fetish. What does that have to do with mosquitoes? Well, that's like how, you know. You know. You know how t mosquitoes get inside your body and then tickle you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that thing you commonly do, Nick, where you swallow a mosquito and it'll tickle the inside of your mouth to get out? Or you'll tickle your own insides to get rid of a mosquito? What? Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah. What? <laughs> so anyway... We're going to get like a Wikipedia article sent to us or something explaining how, no, this makes perfect sense. But anyway, 
Uh, Genshio goes like, oh, wow, they've got strong wills and they're dedicated to saving people and they're, they've got great ingenuity. Who else would have thought of tickling a thing on the inside of it swallows you? Anyway, Kusanagi turns into a sword and cuts through the pig thing. Hey, they kill it. And uh, then I do appreciate this moment. Genshio goes as Dora is bragging. I'm so awesome. I recruited these guys and yeah, I'm so great. And that's it. That's where the chapter ends. Is she's proud of herself for having a good scouting talent. So you're a weirdo. I like this. You give me bad vibes. This is a weird chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I this series has such an odd tone to it with the characters. Like I, I'm like I don't know how I feel about Jinchio. Part of me hates her because she always has the same stupid mouth. Where I'm like I don't know. Is she like? part frog or something i don't why does she always have that the the fucking v face and then i can't grasp her personality either i don't know it's it's definitely a an odd situation with this series i can't say i hate it but i definitely like finish reading chapters and i'm like huh yeah it's a reaction of not dislike or even apathy that I encounter with this series is more just kind of dull confusion. Like, what is going on? I don't really get it. But that said, let's move on to Magu-chan, I think. Let's do it. It's Magu-chan, got a structure chapter 72, an errand on a holy night. Hey, Magu-chan always does holiday stuff when it's in a t- when it's time to, uh, to do it. So it's the Christmas chapter of the series. Uh, we get a little joke where uh, Ruru is like, aren't you cold, Magu-chan? You're not wearing anything, and I'm wearing this heavy winter cult coat. And Magu says, I am an unyielding being. Must be nice. So, uh, Ruru's mom is going to come for Christmas Eve. Hooray. There are There is no travel shenanigans in this in this uh, time. She just shows up, like, without without any gusto. She, she shows up. Good. Um, but... Ruru's talking about how she's visiting for Christmas, and Magu's upset about Christmas because it's getting more attention than him. Makes sense. But then, Ruru says to Magu, if you don't behave, then Santa won't bring you any presents. And of course, Magu just learns about Santa, and he's like, wait a minute, everyone worships Santa! Uh, And Ruru even goes on saying like, oh yeah, you know, when I was a little girl, I saw Santa. I was all half asleep and I couldn't see too well, but someone dressed in red was leaving a present on my pillow. And that's why I love Santa. And I hope I get to see him again. And so, and on that day, they say that Magu-chan's idea got really dumb. So he thinks that he's go he wants to become Santa. Now uh, he's going to disguise himself. He's going to have a dapper mustache, which is the best part of this idea. So, uh, but he thinks like, if I be Santa, then everyone will worship me. And so he tries to mimic Santa by stuffing a present into Ruru's stocking, as in he tries to dump Nato into her sock while she's wearing it, which is an interesting idea. Um, so Ruru just gets upset at him, hangs him up in shame with the Christmas wreath, you know, for holiday reasons and stuff. Her mom shows up uh, and Magu, you know, imparts on her as like what he's been up to. So she explains like, oh, well, you know, if you really want to be Santa, you've got to make it clear that you're Santa. And Santa wears red and has a sleigh pulled by a reindeer. So Magu goes off to get the uh, all the 
appropriate things he needs for this, which includes going to fetch BS to be his reindeer, of course. Uh, he refers to BS as blood-soaked pitch-dark reindeer for this case. So, nice dedication there, Magu. Uh, they need a sleigh as well, and so Ren's like, why do you want that? But Nipichika's like, what the hell's a sleigh? Uh, but Magu explains that he wants the device that they used on the mountain last year to slay down, uh, to sled down the mountain. And Napuchika still got it. It's in a storage box. Uh, so Magu leaves off with that. And Ren thinks to himself like, oh, right. It's almost Christmas. I want to go and buy a present for Ruru. And then Napuchika chooses that moment of all moments to be like, you promised me all your spending money when I helped you. Yeah, I did. Damn it. God, God damn you. <laughs> Good for you, Nipu- Good for you, Niputiku. <laughs> I yeah, I'm real proud of him. He figured things out. He knew exactly what he was going for. Yeah. Uh but Magu's plan is not complete. He still needs the red suit and he needs the white beard, or as he puts it, facial hair, which is accurate, I guess. So he goes hunting around in the storage room in Ruru's house, and hey, he happens to come across a Santa costume. Ooh. How is this possible? And yeah, we get a little confirmation from Ruru's mom that she actually made it set it up so that he would be able to find these things. And she remembers back when her husband dressed up as Santa so that uh, he could leave a gift for Ruru. It's cute. Aww. Um, Ruru then comes to her mom asking for help getting her getting a present that she's making ready. Hmm. Uh, then we cut outside to Magu, who appears to have everything ready, but. He says, as long as I have human clothing, procuring gifts will be easy. I have just the answer to our present. That would be most suitable for Christmas. And he goes to a department store and he puts, grows human size, stretches himself out and wears the Santa outfit while he's got BS leading him around. And the woman running the the boutique is like, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, but then Magu uh, wants a scarf. Uh, and he says, in, in lieu of payment, in return for your offering, I will destroy any one thing that you so desire. Sounds like a fair deal. I'd immediately be like, oh, fuck, I really got to do a lot of good with this. And then I'd get really upset. I'd be like, can you destroy that old Long John Silver's and we maybe we can get like a better restaurant in its spot? Then I'm like, damn it. Just said like Ted Cruz's house or something like that. What a fool I am. <laughs> so uh the woman just gives him the scarf without asking for payment because she has been destructively inspired and we get this one panel gag that occasionally occasionally happens in magu i forgot this was a thing that used to happen it it happened a lot more frequently before uh you know in the early days of this series where they're just like and then they were inspired to do a thing by magu because they saw him and he never found out about it. She made an entire apparel brand because of this. So good for her. Uh, so Magus preparations are complete. Night has fallen. And so he thinks like, yes, when she realizes her reunion with Santa Claus is actually me, that. I can't read this because it's black on black. That lowly human is sure to throw herself at my feet. Uh, he sneaks into her room and she's asleep. Damn it. <laughs> so he's just like, accept this. Wake up. I'm Santa Claus. You got to see me. I'm Santa Claus. Do Wake it. up. 
Aw, Ruru's all asleep. So Magus upset, his plan is ruined, and uh, he slumps off. Uh, especially because you know he's got to take he's got to take BS home, put him to bed. Uh, but he's upset that his plan's been foiled. It turns out Ruru was playing pretending to be asleep. Aw, kids don't fall asleep that that early when they're you know in junior high. So. Uh, but she plays along the next morning and she's like, oh, look, Santa brought a scarf for me. And Magu is like, you cannot fathom the value of that piece of cloth. Yeah, it was nothing. You, you got it for free. <laughs> but uh, Rue keeps on playing along. Uh, and then it turns out, oh, hey, Santa brought something for Magu-chan. And so he unwraps it and it's his own scarf and it fits him perfectly. It's custom made. Uh, Magu doesn't know where it could have come from, but Ru just says, since you're a good boy who believed in Santa, he brought you a present. And Magu says, he bestowed upon me his enemy and offering. <laughs> it's this one-sided rivalry he's invented. It's just very cute, the idea that Magu's like, my enemy has made peace with me. <laughs> Interesting. A curious fellow. <laughs> and of course he doesn't even realize, oh, Ruru, with help from her mom, needed this nice little scarf for him. He just thinks that Santa brought it for him. <laughs> uh, this was very cute. Like, yeah. Absurdly cute. <laughs> That's about all I can say about it. It's very, very cute. It's very, very appropriate for the season. It was uh, very much enjoyed. I like the twist on, you know, the pretending to be Santa thing that, of course, because Magu doesn't understand it, he's the one who thinks that Santa's given something to him. So. Alright. Here we go. Dr. Stone. It's time to get stoned, Nick. Z equals 223. Zero. I had to leave a pause there. Numbers. Um... Preparations continue to go to the goddamn moon. They dig up some stuff from the ocean from some of their, I guess, past experiments. Um, and I believe also that this is part of their training, I think. Um, it would seem so. At least two of the people who are going down are on the mission and mm-hmm. Stanley is up there. So maybe he was and he just already took his shirt off because he's like, like, if you have a body this good, it seems like a crime to wear a shirt at any point. So... <laughs> And Dr. Zeno's like, yes, you do. I mean, I I taught uh, him that law. (laughs) I told him that's the truth. That's it. That's my rule. (laughs) I don't know if that's at all. It's very helpful. Everyone, don't stop Stanley from taking his shirt. I mean, it's very important that he takes shirt. I mean, for the mission. (laughs) It's scientifically proven that when Stanley has his shirt off, I work, scientists work better isn't that right senku (laughs) sure whatever (laughs) whatever you say doc uh time progresses forward they're mocking off days they're getting the launching tower ready and hey it's time senku and kohaku and stanley are all in their weird spacesuits ready to board the ship uh, and we get uh, a few sets of goodbyes that happen uh, between Kohaku and Ruri, uh, between Chrome and Senku, between Stanley and Zeno. Aw. Anyway. 
they're also uh, they they are on like the inside of like this like plastic tunnel that's leading them into the ship. But there are a few moments that are a little bit odd because we see kind of like from the point of view of directly down the mm-hmm. barrier. Um, so, uh, oh, and also, um, Zeno offers like some chewing tobacco shaped as cigarettes to Stanley. And so I was confused by this at first because he offers them through the barrier, but there's holes in the barrier. So, all right. Now he's on the inside of the barrier, isn't he? Is he? I'm confused. See, <laughs> I guess he is on that side too. I guess. All He's right. one of the side. I think that's why he has the mask on, isn't it? Because he needs to, I don't know, like keep the stare, like keep the environment sterile and everything like that. I don't know enough about space know. travel to understand the meaning. This, Look, the, meaning of this. the important thing is that Stanley can keep smoking without it being like, wait, when the ship explode. <laughs> <laughs> Look, these are, these are almost purely for cosmetic effect, yeah. but we're not taking that man's cigarettes away. <laughs> um. Ryusui, uh, you know, basically kind of like tries to put some last minute pressure on Stanley. Like, hey, you stole my ride to space, so you better do your job safely. Right. You can do it right. And they do like a little fist bump through the barrier. Okay. Uh, Luna is panicking internally because her boyfriend, which, by the way, this brings up another point about the time that has passed for this. Have Luna and Senku been, quote unquote, boyfriend and girlfriend for like... 15 years by this point <laughs> it seems like at some point the conversation would have come up on her end to be like hey are we actually nothing <laughs> like, did you just say that as lip service to get me politically on your side and that actually this relationship means nothing to you romantically Senku, I mean, like, it doesn't mean nothing to me it means that you're on my side yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look i'm probably asexual sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah oh Almost undoubtedly. Uh, it's just very amusing to me the idea that like years and years have come by and that situation has never been addressed at any point and it has to 100% all be on Luna's side. Like she's just never, she's been like, ah, if I ask, that might be weird, right? It'd be weird to ask like, hey, five years into this, are we still with a couple? And and Senku is just like, well, I don't know. Nothing's changed between Ruri and Chrome and Yuzuriha and Taiju, so... <laughs> I also like the idea that Tasenku, he's like, well, my situation hasn't altered in any way that would require me to, like, give myself away to somebody else for political reasons, so sure, whatever, as long as we I don't guess have we'll to, keep doing this. As long as we don't have to do anything, whatever floats your boat. Uh... So, there's like, some last... They die. It's their headstones next to each other. And it's her thing that's like, eternally yours, Luna. And then it's like his engraving that's like, feh, whatever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just like, so how's things? <laughs> it's it's Senku at her funeral. And he's just like, uh, so my dear wife is gone. Um please he wouldn't say dear yeah <laughs> he's like my clinically designated wife has passed and uh science everybody i i made mini muffins that's the new future invention i came up with it's time for the newest invention a funeral pyre <laughs> 
It's a real, it's a very heartless one though. It's just a catapult and a hole a mile away. <laughs> He's like, I thought the funeral business could use some spicing up. They're just going to like ex- extremely gruesome detail about how, what happens when someone is in, is uh, incinerated. <laughs> What's that? Oh, that's the bones bursting. <laughs> <laughs> they do that. Tied you stop stop throwing up. <laughs> um Gen does some weird like quote unquote assurances for everyone that don't worry, we aren't going to see the rocket blow up, I guess. Um It's his and, way of but, calming everybody. Yes. In his own weird way. And then Taiju does it in his own way, too, which is by getting really intense and yelly, which makes sense. Well, they also, like, establish, I guess, for the audience as well, like, well, if it does break, we'll just get everybody's shards and fix them up that way. Because yeah. death no longer has a consequence yeah. in our world, essentially. The worst thing that's happened to any character in a while is one part of Yo's hair isn't growing back. Yeah, seems to be the case, yes. Uh, Joel meets Kaseki. Oh, I loved uh, it. They he seems so happy, and uh, so they meet up with each other, and uh, they go Look together. At his little old man eyes. He's, he's like, oh, you must be Joel. Oh, My fellow it. craftsman, you're here. Someone and out they, there is going to draw ahead. an image of Kaseki meeting Nanami from Jujutsu Kaisen and the two of them hanging out and I'm just going to cry and I, I'm i going to give whoever draws it as much money as I have because I just I'm, I need it I need it in my life there's two, there's two nice old guys I say old guy Nanami I think was 26 <laughs> he's not even that old he's in his late 20s I think he is pretty awesome though so. Yeah, I've only seen what he's done in the anime too oh so. he's so good I love him I was convinced he was going to die in that first big fight of his, but no, he didn't. So. Thank God. Uh, so, hey, you know it would be great? Well, Joel says it. Now we can have our toast as fellow engineers of the oh. stone world. And they go in the shuttle together and they build something together. I, I do like that this reunion has been given more attention and care than Yuzuri and Taiju's reunion. <laughs> Look, she's right there while he's talking. It's yeah, fine. they're both together. <laughs> uh, and after they finished working on it together, they hand off the petrification device to Senku, who, who gets on board the rocket. Uh, with some help from Kaseki, they get they make some last minute preparations. They install the petrification device between everyone. And Senku says five meters, one second to petrify himself and Stanley and Kohaku for the trip. And then, you know, it's like, oh, no, but what will they do if it zaps them again? And Zio's like, well, we couldn't ascertain the cause of why that happened. And without an alternate method, we just have to accept the risk. I'm sure this will not come up in any way in the rest of the series. <laughs> at all. Uh, and then we get our big countdown for launch and we get the full 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Uh, and while this starts happening, Senku just kind of thinks to himself, you know, it's always really quiet when you're petrified, which makes sense. Your ears are petrified. Therefore, you cannot hear anything because you're made of rock. But he's like, all right. But assuming that Zeno is doing everything exactly as we planned, then right now, the countdown is at 
five. And he starts counting down with Zeno and with everyone else, too. Aw, that's kind of cool. And then Stan uh, is, I think it's Stanley. No, it's Senku. It's hard to tell because his hair is slicked back because of the helmet. It's a little bit weird. Uh, Stanley says, Senku says, this brings back memories about how I counted the seconds going by when I was petrified for 3,700 years. But now I'm counting down. We get a flashback to the time that he sent the model rocket into space and the little models of him and Taiju and Yuzuriya were floating the atmosphere. Ah, and he's going to space for real now. And as the sun fucking rises, the rocket fires up and they start to blast off as the countdown reaches zero. And Senku says, by humanity's wits, by the power of science, we've reversed the petrification of our world back to zero. And now we're departing that very world. Aww. It's a cool it feel like a very It feels like a very momentous occasion. Yeah, it's nice. I do like that we got kind of a collage of different reunions. Some of it felt like, hey, these are things, let's just get out of the way. Let's have Joel and, 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 uh, and Koseki meet and... Let's have Gen say something to calm everybody down. We should probably bring Luna back real quick. Let's make sure Ruru and uh, her sister have like uh, a moment. Not Ruru. Uh, Ruri and Kaku have a moment together. Uh, you know, get all those things out there. Uh, but it's good. It's it's nice. And I also, it's kind of dorky, but I also like the thing of like, I was counting up for so long. And now finally I'm counting down. It is. It is. Not, I do like the book ending feeling of it. Yeah. So. All right, Nick. Let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles chapter yeah. 90, Mash Burn Dead and the Electromagnetic Cannon. So Rose Quartz is going on about his saying, he's like, listen, you could spout your lofty ideals all you want, but you're never going to uh, be more than fluff to me. And it's like, oh, his magic power is really amplified and it's boom. He unveils his magnet lightning seconded the invariable railgun. And Mash is like, oh, what now? And he's like, ah, by combining two types of magic, I can bring forth an even more powerful second fire. And there's a big two-page spread of this thing ripping straight through the wall above both Mash and Dot. Like, it just destroys it. And you can see it just goes through, like, room after room. And like, wow, holy shit. This is crazy. Mash says, I don't get it. <laughs> Roseport says, this isn't your ordinary cannon. Thanks to Lorenz Force, this magic uses a powerful electric charge to create a magnetic field that propels a given object along the rails with explosive amounts of force at almost incalculable speeds. And Mash says the best line, which is, okay, it doesn't matter if you explain it. I still don't get it, which I have saved and I'm going to use in my phone quite a lot. <laughs> I mean, this is this is how Lorenz cannons or railguns work. Yes. So I do appreciate that it's just like, no, he just uses his magic to just make a rail gun. Yeah. <laughs> just like, how does he know what a rail gun is? <laughs> he, he invented it. Uh, but he's like, hey, I could decimate the whole country if I wanted to with this. I can compete with the visionaries and more. But right now what I'm going to do is aim my seconded right at your little friend, Mash Bird Dad. No more dodging for you, assuming you really care about your hanger on after all. Now show me the power of friendship. And Dot's like, holy crap, that thing is going to be moving at 8,000 kilometer an hour, because that's specifically what he is told that it does. Uh, and he's like, not even MASH could do it. So Dot starts saying, MASH, just forget about me. And 
And <laughs> Mash says, fourth up to bat, bat, bat. Our center fielder, fielder, fielder. Mash, burn, 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 burn. Dad, 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 dad. And the fact that he does his own announcer echo <laughs> fucking makes this entire sequence. Because <laughs> I feel like if we just had he decides to baseball bat this railgun. Mm-hmm. And it, that that's the joke for the rest of the chapter. All right. Yeah. But the fact that he's like a little kid playing bat by It's the extra level to it of him announcing himself with self-done echo. <laughs> <laughs> and every time that it happens, the word bubble has to say self-echo. Yeah. <laughs> Just like squeaky voice. Uh Rose Quartz is, of course, like, you can't possibly start my stop my second if with that. You don't have any brains. The rate of the speed is incomprehensible. And Dot even does the calculations. And he's like, we're 10 meters away. If it moves 8,000 kilometers an hour, that gives us 0.003 seconds before the shot lands. There's just no way you can't even blink in that. Um, and Mash fouls it. <laughs> he nails it. And it goes off. And I just like Rose Quartz's face. Because he's like, what? 8,000. No human can match that speed. And Mash says, well, if you study the windup, it's not that hard to hit a fastball. What windup, Mash? (laughs) Or maybe sports are just incomprehensible to you. (laughs) So Rose Quartz is like, fuck you. That was just a foul. Our rules in society are decided from birth. Mine is to be on top of guys like you. Fires another shot. And Mash hits it again. And he fires again. And Mash nails it again. And Rose Quartz is like, I'm the head of the, I'm the son of the head of the Bureau of Magic. I was, I was practically born to be on top of the league. And the entire time he's thinking this, Mash is just hitting more shots. He's like, I, I needed to be the best. I used any and every means necessary. I was doing it. And I was crushing every magic user in the way. I'm at the zenith of the magic using world. And I'm losing to a muscle head who can't even use magic. And he just says that Mash hits a shot. Sends it straight back into the cannon and destroys the whole thing. And Mash ends the chapter by saying, So, you said something before about you how, how you hadn't even broken a sweat. Well, now you have. We see a drop of sweat fall from Lewis, and before it hits the ground, Mash has just fucking punched him in the chin. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very dumb moment. Like, it's a dumb <laughs> chapter, but it is... I'd really, it's sold by how much, like, self-echoes himself going up there. And then just hits it with the baseball bat. And I do just love how cool it is that he comes in and fucking nails him with that shot before Lewis's, or whatever his name, Rose Quartz's, uh, sweat even falls to the ground. It's a very cool moment. Yeah. Um, I think that, like I said, I think that the self-echo bit makes this whole thing. So, it was, yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to the elusive samurai bonds 1335. The battle has not gone well for Tokiyuki's group. Uh, so they're all in retreat mode. Fortunately, the generals work to make it so that, uh, you know, they escape with as many lives as possible. Also, the Kakushi escapes in all the confusion. So I guess nothing was accomplished by this entire thing. It's unfortunate. Um, and they established we barely held the enemy to Hoshino Dono's territory, and the Suicide sect lost much territory in the battle. So things did not go well for everyone, but I, they live to fight another day is the ultimate takeaway, basically. Um, we do see that uh, Hoshina kind of meets up with 
the two of the journals meet up and there's, you know, the calm guy and then the really intense guy. They're kind of, you know, bonding despite the fact that, you know, they have very different personalities. Um, but they say that, you know, they need are going to need to stick together so that they can rise up in the future when the time comes. Uh, and they do establish that although the battle has gone poorly for this side, the Kakushi was unable to achieve his main objectives uh, and the Suicect members deepened their bonds. So there you go. Um, and uh, now they understand what they need to do. So they're ready to come together later on. And so everyone uh, in our main group goes back to the Sua Shrine. And Tokiyuki is going to go and see Yorishige. And he's like, all right, it's going to be great. And uh, they establish like, oh, yes, yes. Whenever, whenever you leave for a battle, he erects a hut over there and performs his ablutions in solitude, praying for your safety. And Tokiyuki thinks he must really care about me. And in the battle, he helped me realize that he and I share the same goal. Restoring the Hojo means helping the people of Shinano. And together, we will seek to rule Japan. And he happily bursts through into the tent to go, I'm back, Yorishige Dodo! And Yorishige is just chilling out in a hot spring surrounded by lots and lots of food. And, a, and he's got a dish of sake. And he doesn't look guilty so much as he's just like, oh, what are you doing here? What are you guys doing here? <laughs> There are some nice face expressions that uh, the kids make when they see him, too. Uh, and so Kojiro and Ayako are immediately pissed off. I was like, you asshole. We were off riskier lives. So you're just chilling in this freaking hot spring. And they start kind of smacking him around and pouring water over his head and everything. Um, and Tokyuki's just like, maybe this guy's not on the same page with me after all. But he gets in on the action and they just kind of like horse around and are dunking his head underwater and stuff. So, aw. We all survived the horrible, bloody battle. Yay! Splash around in water. So, um, then we get this big thing, this narration that says, "Oh, when they're very strongly aligned in their objectives, and the entire Sua camp looked toward a major conflict in perfect solidarity, or so it seemed." <gasps> there is a figure watching from the shadows. Uh, then uh, Shizuku goes to wake up Tokiyuki. And uh, she's like, hey, you got to wake up. And he's like, no, I'm tired. And she says, nope, I got to comb and tie your hair. Uh, and she threatens him with, Yorishigo rub cheeks with you and bother you if you don't do this. Which, okay. So he gets up. She starts to brush his hair. And she's like, your hair's so pretty. And she says, you have received your adult name, but you haven't adopted an adult hairstyle. And Tukiyuki says, the chief vassals have told us not to cut our hair, but my older brother did so anyway. And his uh, older brother fucking died, so maybe he takes that to heart? Hmm? But uh, Yorishige explains that uh, Tokyuki's hair is good luck. And we get a narration explaining that in those days, people believed that hair that had never been cut signified purity. And they viewed children as vessels of holy power. So a child with uncut hair was doubly lucky. Uh, all right. And this also has to do with, you know, inspiring the troops. Because, hey, you know, when you ride into battle and you reveal yourself uh, and you have that hair, blah, 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 blah. But he also establishes, like, but, you know, you're going to become the ruler one day. And when you become an adult, you're not going to be able to keep the, the long hair because, you know, you'll be an adult. And that is not our way. So... If you do reclaim your rule, may I cut your hair? And 
things get, I'm going to say this, weird for a couple of pages. The ultimate point that is made is nice, but the way that it's presented before it becomes clear what the text is, the subtext is weird. Mm. And when we consider some of the, you know, relationships between certain mangaka, it gets a little bit concerning. So I'm not going to get too deep into this, especially because I might be just seeing things that I shouldn't be seeing. But I have to call attention to the fact that I did think this when I first read this chapter, the way that things are drawn, it's a little bit odd. And Tokyuki is 10. No, Just you're, not, you're, you're not wrong. It's this. It's I mean, the weird relationship between Tokyuki and uh, Yoshige has been a presence throughout the entire series. And you kind of to read it have to, overlook some of the weird feelings you get at points as you watch it you're like this isn't going where i think it is but ways characters make certain expressions and things like that don't always lend themselves the best to that idea and absolutely as you said considering some of the relations that are kept uh between the manga because yeah i totally get what you're coming from the point that they make ultimately is that tokyuki thinks that he's kind of come to see yorishige as a father figure which makes sense he took him in and, you know, be as protected him when he is in danger and he cares for him when he's in trouble and all sorts of stuff, despite the fact that he's a weirdo. Them being blushy while thinking about each other is weird, though. Just don't do that. OK, Tokyuki has that thought while he goes off walking by himself and then his super long lucky hair gets grabbed by a kid who also has super long lucky hair in a long braid going down his back. And the kid goes, listen, you don't fucking get put some fucking Hojo kid. I'm a god and I'm higher than you. Okay. He's intense. Uh, it, then one of Yorishige's sons, Tokitsugu, approaches and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry that I've been able to see you more often, Tokyuki-sama. And they greet him. And he's, then he points to the boy who grabbed Tokyuki's hair and says, you two are me for the first time. This is my son, Yoritsugu. And he's like, are you done saying hello, Yoritsugu? And Yoritsugu's like, yeah, I'm all nice and happy and everyone buys my bullshit smiley face. I fucking hate you for the fucking... So, uh, yeah. Uh, Tokyuki has got a jealous kid to deal with. I uh, wonder if it has to do with his closeness to Yorishige, who is this kid's grandfather. So, yeah, I, I this I, I think I made a tweet earlier in the week that I was like everything in Jump this week was really really good. It was hard to pick a favorite. I think this is maybe the like one Shonen Jump series besides Dororon that I was like it's not great. I. I don't hate this new character as much as everyone else is immediately. Um, but I can easily see how this might get a very annoying relationship pretty quickly. So hopefully um, he gets cooler. 
or something. I don't. I don't hate him instinctively, uh, mostly just because like, well, yeah, he's supposed to be annoying. You know, he's the little brat character. It just depends yeah. on like what happens with him from here. You know, if that goes too far or if he, you know, gets more fleshed out beyond just the way he's initially presented. I do think it's, you know, he's got some good facial expressions when we to, for his introduction. But uh, again, not the worst thing about this chapter. So, yeah, no, exactly. All right, let's move on to Black Clover, page 317. Change! So they cut uh, Lucifer right down the middle, and it's coming down. And Yuno and Mimosa show up so that Yuno can shoot Lucifer with an arrow. And Asta just says, Yuno, just what I expected. <laughs> Lucifer with an arrow. Oh, Chris. <laughs> uh, then... Patry shows up to save William Vengeance, and uh, Langris is down there just being like, he stole the best part, which I guess means Langris is sort of soon soon for William Vengeance too. That's the only way I could possibly read it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering that Patry specifically has caught William Vengeance like Princess Carrie style. Mm. So, uh. Yami is waking up, and he says, good work, you idiots. Black Bulls are like, thanks, sir. A bunch of characters just react, being like, well, I'm glad that's over. And then Lucifero's still there and says, what are you people dawdling around for? Oh, sorry, that's not Lucifero. It's another demon from the second level who just says, what are you dawdling around for? You should really get out of here, you know. Lucifero's manifestation is half-finished. What? Boom. Lucifero shows up, full-page spread. And immediately points a finger up and says, bow your heads. And then in a two-page spread, crushes everyone with enough gravity to force them all to the ground. Which, I don't care what anyone says, is a supremely fucking badass move that is awesome. Especially uh, because he's just like, fall and pray. <laughs> uh, Astus, yeah. Asta says, what the? And Lucifero walks straight past him saying, so it was you, hmm? the fool who kept me from manifesting completely. And that's all we get. It's a short chapter, but uh, it is a very cool moment. I like Lucifero's look. The uh, very kind of tree-like appearance that he has with the way his horns are shaped and how warped his uh, flesh is. Yeah. Uh, so he, stri he, he strikes a pretty uh, intimidating figure, and I do appreciate that. And he made a badass entrance. Yeah. Uh, I'm also very curious about this other demon person. Who the hell is this? Uh, so, and why did they warn people? Hmm. So. I don't know if I'm going to read too much into them warning, because it also just seems like something any kind of shitty demon would do. Be like, oh, yeah. you guys should be running, lol. Yeah, Something it could like be that. that. It could be that they're like, fuck that Lucifero guy. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So definitely. Could I, be. But I think also just the fact that they appear so suddenly just has me going, huh, that's huh. interesting. So. All right, yeah. Nick, let's get to sure. daddy. I mean, one piece. Yeah. OK, so <laughs> <laughs> I kind of knew that there was going to be a certain reaction when I read this, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Chapter 1035 One Piece Zoro versus King. Hey, well, Sanji. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, technically, it's Zolo versus King. I know. And also, technically, it's Zolo versus Daddy. I just want to be clear about that. Also, <laughs> we, are gaining, we are gaining a new limited cover story about Germa 66 escaping Whole Cake Island. 
which mm-hmm. is, I doubt, a story anyone was super excited for, but, you know, maybe maybe they all stop being Nazis and open up a bakery shop maybe or something. all go to Brazil. So, yeah. uh, Sanji, last chapter, laid out Queen with a whole bunch of goddamn kicks, 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 and uh, knocks him out of the dome. And so long, gay Bowser. Like, he's, we don't see him land. He just keeps on going the last time I saw him. <laughs> it's great. I didn't even think about that. He just keeps going. <laughs> he just gets smashed out of, out of the screen. And <laughs> um, then the pleasure girl, before that Queen was going to attack because he's an asshole, uh, is just kind of like going in shock at the whole thing. And Sanji turns and awe. He kept her pet mouse, Chuji, safe in his jacket pocket the whole time. He hands the mouse off to her. And uh, she thanks him for that. And while looking down at her with the mouse, Sanji just thinks about how he would practice cooking food by feeding the mice at his home. Like, oh, that's a very nice little detail. He starts to ask her if she's all right. And then he just kind of starts to collapse. So we don't. Yeah, he he was beaten the fuck up in that fuck, too. All right, it's time. It's fucking time, everybody. <laughs> so, Zoro has just hit King with a powerful attack. An attack that actually did damage and causes him to bleed with his own face. Caused him to bleed his own blood. And part of the mask falls away. And Zoro thinks to himself, as he, after he's followed through with the attack... When the flames on his back go out, he can move a little faster, but his defensive ability drops in response. And since the mask has been ruined, King rips it off and, oh my god, he's gorgeous. (laughs) Oh, he's so handsome. Look at him. He's so fine. (laughs) Suddenly his, like, leather outfit makes sense because I'm like, oh, he's a leather daddy. Um, So Zoro turns to look at him. And meanwhile, a whole bunch of other people who are on the floor are like, oh, Master King took his mask off. The rumors were true. Black wings and white hair, brown skin. What was the reward for tipping off the government? A hundred million berries? And um, King just points his sword at them and it's set on fire and it shoots out a gout of flame. And they're like, oh, uh, no, well, we weren't thinking about uh, doing that, though. <laughs> Damn, we shouldn't have said that so loud right next to him. <laughs> it's kind of a bad, uh, our bad on our part. And he fires a dragon of fire from his sword at them. <laughs> and it sets them all on fire. Uh, and Zoro's just like, I mean, the castle's already burning. <laughs> so why'd you do that? Uh, but uh, he's up on a, a hole in the ceiling basically now, and he says, hey, if your men are distracting you, why not come up here? Did I hear something about a million, hundred million just for a tip-off? What are you anyway? But King replies, nothing that's going to matter to a man about to die. And he turns into his pterodactyl form, flies after Zoro. Uh, they go crashing through the wall and he's attacking him with his wings while he flies, you know, the way the pterodactyls can do. Uh, uh, after their exchange, Zoro lands on the ground. King goes back to his human form and Zoro thinks to himself, I don't have much time because this drags on. The sword is going to suck the life from me. Uh, and he also thinks to himself, 
okay, he's definitely from some kind of special race, but it's got nothing to do with me. He just doesn't care. <laughs> this whole thing is like, oh man, if we were poor, someone of his race, all this money is ours. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's just <laughs> not a priority. Uh, and so they get ready for to end the fight. Zoro declares he's going into King of Hell three sword style, while Kane declares, don't get full of yourself. Kaido is the man who will be King of the Pirates. And we get a yeah, yeah, very... Yeah, yo. Don't give it up, Kaido. <laughs> <laughs> don't give it up, Queen. <laughs> that's, it's it a up shot of, that's it's a shot of him writing a sexist comment on the internet. <laughs> like, that's his cool battle scene as him being like, take your top off. <laughs> don't give it up, Jack. And Jack's just on the ground defeated. <laughs> it's him knocked out. We don't know who did it. It's just him. <laughs> Give it up, give it up, give it up. <laughs> um, and we get a flashback to when King first met Kaido when he was just a baby daddy. <laughs> uh, when he was, I don't know, a preteen? It's hard to tell. Uh, he had He's the same Kaido. hair and yeah. face. <laughs> so, <laughs> But Kaido met him and it was just like, huh, a Lunarian. No wonder the world government wouldn't give you up. I saw those endurance tests they put you through. I'm breaking out of this place and starting a new pirate crew. What do you say, guinea pig? And King just asked him, can you change the world we live in? And Kaido answered, I'm the only one who can change it. And uh, so they escaped, leaving a trail of destruction in their wake. And Kaido asked, what's your name? It's Albert. You're strong, but for now I'm your king. <laughs> Why'd you ask him his name then? <laughs> what's your name uh doesn't matter what your name is you're king now <laughs> it's a cool name right <laughs> or if he had said a name that was like if he was like oh dr badass is my name he's like you're no stay dr badass that's much better than what i was gonna call you <laughs> do you have an actual phd i, I don't want to know just keep going by dr badass <laughs> dr badass i'm oh, sorry doctor <laughs> Uh, Zoro launches his purgatory onigiri at King. King dodges it, uh, but then Zoro realizes, okay, his flames are on now. There's no point in me attacking. So he has to just evade another one of the dragon flames shooting out of the sword <laughs> attacks the king has. Um, and then they clash swords. And once again, the serrated edges of King's sword catch all of Zoro's blades. But he manages to hold on to them this time. And he shouts out, you're not taking these swords away. And he backflips back onto the ground. Uh, and King has just vanished from view. He comes in with a flying kick to Zoro's neck. But Zoro's just like, I can cut him because he's fast. His defense is down. And he hits a bird dance to King. This vertical spinning cut thing. Uh, and... King's just like, I guess you figured out the rules of my body. Uh, and they keep on clashing blades. And Zoro says, why are you bothering to block my attacks? I thought they didn't do anything to you unless you're scared of what I can do. Uh, and King just says, you are biologically incapable of defeating me, which. All right. Weird. But Zoro says, there's nothing I hate more than weak excuses. Which doesn't sound like an excuse, but OK. <laughs> Uh, 
and they launch their final attacks. A giant ass flaming dragon shooting from a sword, which Zoro charges directly into. He goes through the mouth of it and goes into his King of Hell three sword serpent, 103 Mercy's Dragon Damnation. <laughs> uh, he cuts through the flaming dragon and through King as the chapter ends. Yeah, so presumably that is also King being defeated. Uh, Putting an end to most of the fights. I think we still have to go back and touch on uh, Big Mom. Uh, but I... So, look. The big thing to hold out here is uh, we saw King's design. And uh, for lack of a better term, oh no, Squidward meme, oh no, he's hot. Is the reaction I think every single person had when they first saw him. Um, King's design is cool. It kind of makes me a little annoyed that we waited until the chapter he gets defeated to actually introduce that design although i presume yeah. we will get a little bit of extra context for him afterwards because we didn't really learn that much about the lunarians or anything like that and it feels like those characters are meant to be important mm -hmm. um so i imagine we might have some conversation with king at some point down the line or something like that um as for the fight itself similar to the sanji fight last week it's a cool fight i'm a little disappointed though at the end because i kind of was hoping we'd get a crazy ending the same like a, visually a cool ending the same way we did nina's lobby where you know we revealed devil uh diablo jambe and uh, uh azura uh in this case zoro just wins by cutting the big flame dragon which we've already kind of see him do and the biggest thing would be oh he's adding conqueror's hockey to it so that's a cool thing but you know it's not visually as cool as i was hoping for and i do still wish we had had one more chapter of king i think mm -hmm. having had his mask taken off before this happened and it would have all come together but that said this is still a fucking awesome chapter it is still really cool how this all comes together but i i, I think there was a part of me that was like oh, i was really hoping we get something a little bit cooler it was a cool fight it was a cool chapter but i agree with you uh, I feel like I would have appreciated it if it had gone on just a little bit longer because it felt like it ended before its time. Mm -hmm. Assuming this is the ending, which I think it I'm is. I'm assuming it is. One Piece has a pace, uh, and since one or since Sanji's fight ended in one chapter in that moment, this feels like the end here as well. All right, guys. That is going to do it for the manga recap. What were your favorites? What were ours? Let's find out now. Uh, I think my favorite chapter of the week is gonna have to go to Undead Unluck. As much as I feel almost shameful for doing it for like the 20th time in a row, it feels like uh, Undead Unluck had a really, really good flashback and it was pretty, it was pretty satisfying all the way through. I really, really liked it. It was a really good flashback. Uh, I'm with you there. Uh, I, I do believe that you mentioned on Twitter, like, it's got to be hard selecting the best yeah. for this week. And there were a lot of really nice standouts. Um, it's either that or the Magu chapter for me. Yeah, um, Magu was really good. Dr. Stone was really good. I liked Black Clover. Uh, Mashal was really good. Like, I don't. Even my hero, I liked a lot. Even in Zero, I considered being like, cool, we got some cool explanations. It's not impossible. So, if I were to judge purely on uh, my gut feeling when I initially read all the chapters, 
it would be very difficult to distinguish between Undead Unluck and Magu-chan. Because Magu-chan feels like it's more of an exceptional thing this week. Like, you know, it's a special kind of thing that, hey, last time we dealt with Uneris' bullshit. This is, a, this is, you know, this this is uh, a thing that stands out more in the context of what we've been getting from it lately. So I'm going to go with Magu-chan for this week. But I have to say, yeah, like you mentioned, like all a whole lot of really good chapters that we had. So and there were really there were like a, it was a good week for the magazine in total because like the stuff outside of jump as well or not outside of jump outside the recap was really good as well me and roboco blue box ayashimon um there was like two or three other series that like i read it and i was like this is really fucking good it was a really really good week for it uh my series of the or character of the week i'm gonna give to king just because that design was really cool and I gave a shit about him, which I wasn't expecting to, uh, like, a couple weeks ago. I was kind of like, oh, at least, you know, last time when, like, Sanji had to fight Jayabura, who barely got any character development, and you're like, okay, like, now it's the return on that. Now now Sanji's the one who gets to see, fight the character we know a lot about, and Zoro's just fighting some dude with, like, two character traits and whatever. And then you're like, oh, no, you made him cool now. <laughs> design. <laughs> ah, I hate this. <laughs> oh, you made, you, made, you made him, like, actually be super loyal and cool with kaido oh it's weird because for the longest time i was like 10 years like five years from now someone's going to show me a picture of king and i'll be like it's a dude from do flamingo's army right gladius because that was another character who was just covered in a bunch of leather who was pretty forgettable otherwise and i was like oh no now it's a different character with a much better design (laughs) oh character of the week is also kind of difficult um I'm going to give mine to a Shin. Okay. The original Shin, because he was a super cool friend who was really understanding and wanted his buddy to live. So I could dig it. I could dig definitely it. a very honorable mention to Mash giving his own walk up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I got distracted because uh, I was looking for the best ones and I saw that Hatsume's Booba was uh, a nominee for character of the week. And uh, I'm going to give you one shot to get to which guess, which nationality the person who put that was. Was it French? Who are, who are the weird, who are the weirdos in our discord? Nick? Yeah, it's the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Mashal one chapter of the week and spring from undead unlock one character of the week. Nice. There you go. Good, good, good choices all around. But I, I, I should note there are a lot of different picks that were in there. Uh, Mashal one, but I'm seeing a bunch of picks for like pretty much every series. So, yeah, it was a fun week of jump, uh, and uh, I believe that this will be our last uh, edition that we'll be covering for the podcast of the year. Uh, next week, uh, the magazine is off, and uh, so we'll be either taking a week off or we'll be finding something else to do with the uh with the free time hmm stay tuned to us on our twitter accounts and on the discord channel uh you can follow us on social media at well, Nick i think we should clarify next week we're probably gonna be doing the uh retrospective right yeah okay <laughs> i just wanted to make sure i was like i guess we don't need to hide that right no suspense (laughs) (laughs) 
But say, uh, follow us anyway. He's uh, you're you're Rolo T, and I'm Nick F Time, and we are WMR Podcast on Twitter. And you guys have been following us here on Twitch.tv slash Rolo T, where we record the show live on Wednesday evenings at seven thirty ish p.m. around that time. Uh, but to know on exactly when we're going to do it, you can also join us on the Discord server because a notification goes out when the show goes live. Uh, and there's also all sorts of fun things that go on on there. There is uh, bi- bi-weekly game nights. Well, not this week, but usually. <laughs> the- yeah, usually. Well, I think they're actually still planning to do it on Sunday. Usually it's a Saturday oh. thing, but it looks like they might do it on Sunday this week. Uh, and also a discussion of the series that get recapped as the new chapters dropped, as well as the current recommendation that we are working on, which is Liar Game. Uh, and uh, if you want to make your own recommendation, you can find via the Discord server the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i. Make your own suggestion for a series for us to read. Make your voice heard as to what you think were some of the best and worst and funniest and weirdest and coolest moments uh, from the podcast, from the manga that we've covered, because the year-end supplemental uh, polls are closing soon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can also use that just to find out all the other stuff that we've covered. Check out the history of stuff. And that, hey, if you find a series that sounds interesting, you can go back across our 10 plus year history and you can listen to that old episode. Maybe we'll sound very, very, very different and harder to understand. And uh, we'd also like to thank the people who help make the show what it is. Those of you who support us on patreon.com slash weekly manga recap. We like to Create bonus content for you guys to enjoy, including there is a regular monthly other recap where Chris mm-hmm. covers the series that are in jump, but that we don't cover as part of the recap. And some of them might make their way back into the recap because, you know, you never it know. seems like certain ones are sticking around. Uh, and uh, we also want to thank uh, Winsdale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stills for creating the opening sequence of the video versions of the show. You can find all that stuff on youtube.com slash weekly manga recap. And while you're there, you might also see some interesting title cards that were made for us by Steve Mann, whose artwork you can check out wherever booths are allowed to be drawn on the internet, including his own Twitter profile, twitter.com slash Steve Mann Art. Don't go there if you're not ready to see some big old titties. Or do, you know? Yeah, all right, and you know. Do what you want. No one's here to stop you. It's just not recommended. Like if you're not, if you don't want to see it, then you know, content warning. That's yeah. all. Oh yeah, that. content warning, absolutely. But like some people get upset about content warnings. Um, but I'm just telling you. Mean, you. you mean like losers? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Content warning. We call people who don't like content warnings losers. Content warning in case you don't like being called a loser, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just it just an Ouroboros. We just keep going. <laughs> Content warning if you don't like Ouroboros references, I guess. <laughs> oh no, it another snake. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, it was really really good stuff. I enjoyed this episode. Also, uh in our Discord you can see uh long discussions that have been had about uh comments I made on a bonus podcast recently. Uh apparently I said things about Goblin Slayer that I shouldn't have, and it has made people a little not upset. I, I want to clarify before I make a mountain out of a molehill, but there is a discourse going on. And uh, if you'd like to weigh in, make sure to subscribe to Weekly Manga Recap on Patreon and hear the top 10 best and worst recommendations of Weekly Manga Recap's history, and you can hear my thoughts there. Goblin Slayer was not one of the best. <laughs>
Don't tell them that. Then they know Spoiler. it's a bad thought. Maybe content like, warning for spoilers. Maybe, maybe there, maybe there was a discourse because I was like, Goblin Slayer, best series we've ever talked about. <laughs> oh, all right, bye everybody. <laughs>